This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, fellas. Evening. What's up? Oh, you know, same old, same old. <laughs> episode 27. Which Ooh. makes me think of the Dave Matthews song called number 27. Go check it out if you've never heard it. We'll put it on the we'll put it on the uh Spotify playlist. I've never heard it. Bourbon Bookshelf Spotify playlist, that is. Well, Jared, check it out when you get off the phone. I'll listen to it when it gets on the playlist. Learn to play it. It's an easy, easy little intro. John, what are you drinking? I am drinking a transfusion. Go on. <laughs> um, the first recipe that I pulled up is vodka, grape juice, and Sprite. I am using the barstool mixer with it which I think it says grape juice and ginger ale on it. Yeah, grape juice and ginger ale. And that's what it tastes like. And vodka with some Tito's in it. I like it. It's pretty good. It's grapefruit and what? Grapefruit and ginger ale? Uh, Grape juice and ginger ale. Oh, hmm. that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's tasty. It's not too sweet either. Is it refreshing? Yes. Okay. Especially after a long day of doing nothing but watch golf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just what you needed. Jared? I am uh, just drinking some Maker's Mark. On the rocks? On the rocks. With a, li- with a little bit of water. Yeah. Can't be corrupting that fine bourbon blend with a soda pop. Nope. So, <laughs> anybody who's been around this show knows our thoughts on that particular brand that, that story was crown though what it was yeah yeah because you were trying to pour crown coke into a crown even though I, that his my uncle's brand is makers well shit had the story all mixed up <laughs> <laughs> that was back when we drank crown and thought it was high brown highest quality <laughs> thing. it was probably the highest quality thing we could afford probably <laughs> I put some crown down back in those days too. I uh, bought a like a six pack of crown fists. I don't know what you a case, I guess. In college, like right, we got six home games, um, one piece, baby. <laughs> That's funny. I'm uh... what? going into that football stadium with a crown uh fit the crown in your belly was not good for the fans surrounding me i uh have got tito's and uh, instead of topo i'm drinking heb's version called 1877 how does it compare it's pretty good uh you can definitely tell the water source is different but otherwise it's good it's got five times as much sodium in it too so dang Good for that post-long run, Sunday morning coming down type drink. So, 
How many grams? 55 milligrams. Holy moly. And Topo Chico has 15. So uh, a couple of things to follow up on from the last episode. Arkansas did not make it to the national championship. In fact, uh, they did not make it out of that. Oh, we did. Yeah. They met up with old Baylor and it went downhill pretty quick from there. I do think they gave Baylor the best shot, uh, best game though of the Elite Eight, Final Four, and National Championship that Baylor faced. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was pretty excited for the national championship. I called it pretty early in that one. So, um, the only other thing to follow up on is in the last episode, Jared griped about the font size in the book uh, Coyote America which I embarrassingly called the wrong name on a story that got <laughs> shared to 40,000 people. <laughs> but uh, anyways, those who've been around for the show for a while know I debate back and forth on reading paperback or digitals uh, and uh, being able to change the font size at your leisure is definitely a pro digital check. So I waffle back and forth between larger font and smaller font. I I do too, and I like I prefer reading a large font, but I'm I don't I'm careful about letting it get too large because I don't want to lose my ability to read a small font at the same time. So, gotta do what you gotta do. You just don't, you just don't want to come off as old, right? <laughs> I don't need to get any readers. <laughs> Love seeing older folks phones and thought right. takes up half the phone <laughs> so anyways what books are you guys working with i've got missoula by john krakauer Jared. i have pappy land by wright thompson nice i'll have wolf boys by dan slater john let's hear it all right like i said i have missoula rape and the justice system in a college town by John Krakauer. And this is a book I had read in the past and I just wanted to read it again. It's a fairly recent publishing. I think it's uh, 2015. But the gist of it is, is there, uh, he noticed a, or there was a, like a newspaper article that noticed a big spike in college rapes at the University of Montana in Missoula. And so he decided to write a book kind of detailing those stories. And I found it really interesting. It was kind of a, a good eye opener about some of the things that may happen on a college campus, especially when alcohol was involved. And, uh, and, and also the kind of justice system that's involved with that, because there's, he points out that there's the legal system in which you can be criminally charged and tried and then put in jail if convicted but in colleges as part of title nine they are required to investigate any rape allegations and so that's been a hot uh, hot button issue in, in recent years about these colleges having their own courts and their own judicial system and the only thing they really can do is expel the student but they also don't have the same standard of evidence 
that a like a criminal trial would. And so there's been a big controversy involving those. And uh, what I gathered from the book about that is it was that I do think that those those college campus trials can run amok and get out of control, especially with a power hungry um, president in the book. They talk about how the, the president of the University of Montana shut down the lawyer and he said, you know, you're not allowed to talk in this in the in this um, in this proceed proceeding. And he's like, we need to be careful here. And he's noted. Uh, but the 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 accused was not able to have his lawyer speak in their trial for him. So he had to let the lawyer whisper to him, but the lawyer was not allowed to speak, object, or do anything in this trial. So that just raises a lot of red flags for me that this is not a fair trial for the accused. Now on the flip side, he does go into the the legal system and how a lot of these rapes in these college towns are getting brushed off and they're not even hardly getting looked into. Some of the accusations, they never even spoke to the accused or they didn't speak to them for a month after the fact. And so they have these pretty compelling evidence, like injuries to the woman, or they'll ask the victim, well, do you have a boyfriend? Because they're, they said that most of the time, if the victim has a boyfriend, they'll say they got raped if they cheated on them so they can get out of it. And so I thought that was a little, or definitely the wrong way to approach it. They should get the victim story and do everything to investigate it properly. So kind of the gist of it was the college trials were too, too overbearing and then the legal system is not doing enough to, so the legal system not doing enough kind of causes the need for these college trials, which don't do anything to get a rapist off the street. It just uh, it expels them and then also doesn't have the same standard required to convict someone so they can convict someone just off without any evidence whatsoever. Um, Another thing that was kind of interesting that stood out was they kind of looked into when the the lack of investigation, they were speaking to some uh, researchers and they had found that there's a 90% chance that if a rape occurs, it is done by a serial rapist. So there's not many people out there raping once and doing it again. I found that pretty interesting. And then the other thing on that research front was they were interviewing people and they found a lot of people did not even know they were rapists. They were raping women and they were asking these questions without using the word rape, but they were describing acts of rape, like uh, having sex with someone who was passed out or asleep. And that these, these people are just out there without undetected uh, serial raping people. So I thought it was a pretty eye-opening book. Um, I think it's definitely needs to be a better 
sex education in the consent because I don't even remember getting taught that in high school and middle school about consent. Like you need to have consent before engaging with someone. So yeah, it's definitely a sh shortcoming of our education system being one of the many. But I definitely recommend it. It's a good, uh, an eye-opening book if you want to read into that a little more. You said 90% of them were done by serial rapists. Yeah. So if they would just do a little bit of due diligence to get a few of these folks off the streets and out of there, it'd probably go a long ways. Yeah, it would. And uh, I think educating people too about what is and isn't rape would also help because a lot oh, of yeah, people it sounds don't even like know. it. Good yeah. Lord. <laughs> it's amazing you even have to clarify it. Yeah. Such is today's world, I suppose. So this was just the student body in general. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, they just took a, a population uh, and like, okay. I think it was the university of Connecticut or something like that and studied them oh. and found, I don't know, some like 6% of people of men, I guess had yeah. committed rape and they didn't know it. 6%. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Don't quote me on it though. I would love to hear the one-star reviews. Oh, I got them pulled up. Kathy Pitt did not enjoy his bias report. Uh, I definitely think he did a pretty good job of being unbiased as best he could. Uh, he did. He was critical of those college trials, which I think he was justified there. Biased in what way? Um, I don't like towards the victims, I guess. Like okay 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 and he says he says i feel his bias swung the pendulum 180 degrees in the opposite direction from not listening to and believing rape victims to now doing the same to alleged perpetrators i don't know what that means but <laughs> the next one says one star too graphic <laughs> Boring book, nothing like his other work. Statistics, boring book, nothing like his other works. <laughs> Very disappointed. Sorry I bought it. Yeah, so go check it out. Uh, I like all of his books I've read so far. Um, right now, I'm even seeing Where Men Win, Win Glory, which is about Pat Tillman, the Arizona Cardinals football player that enlisted in the Army after 9-11. You're reading that one right now? No, I just see it listed there. I'm no. just making a book recommendation. I uh, saw one at Barnes & Noble the other day that was new to me called The Crack Hour Stories or something like that. And it's a it's a collection of his essays. I'll have to get which, that because... Yeah, and I, I flipped through it, and I don't think any of the essays in there I had come across somewhere else. So I had read his uh, Iger Dreams. Yeah, fantastic. too. Yeah, that's a another essay anthology. But it's all related to climbing, if I remember correct. Yeah, I don't even climb, and I thought it was an, just a great read. Yeah, I agree. I got on a big spell of reading climbing books for like a year is all I read. Yeah, probably because of Into Thin Air. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, bro? Yep, I... Uh... I have Pappy Land by Wright Thompson, uh, A Story of Family, Fine Bourbon, and The Things That Last. 
I know a lot of our listeners out there are reading this book or have read this book and uh I don't know what they think of it, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, it's all about the uh, the Van Winkle, uh, Van Winkle uh, whiskey, and uh, sorry, bourbon. <laughs> and what makes it what's a it's a weeded uh, bourbon. And John, you might have to correct me here. So uh, it has a has a the Mashville. Their grain they're using wheat instead of rye. And this is to uh, to help with the smoothness of the whiskey. Is that right, John? I mean, more, rye whiskeys have more. I mean, uh, another weeded bourbon would be Makers, just for everyone else's reference. Oh, wow. Makers. Yep. Part of the reason why I'm drinking it right now, because I couldn't find other ones. But anyway, uh, so right kind of goes through the book. Uh, Throughout the book, he's talking about the history of the, of the, the family distilling process, starting with Pappy and uh, going through to, to the, the son and then the grandson, Julian Van Winkle, uh, and how, how, uh, and how their, their, their product, how their product came to be today. Um, it's, uh, I thought it was fascinating how, how Pappy started the Van Winkle distilling, uh, they broke ground on their distillery the day after prohibition ended. Uh, so they, they had all that in line, uh, and it, he was on a quest to produce the finest, the finest bourbon whiskey, uh, ever made. And, uh, for a long time, it, 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 it was, there was a, cause after per- prohibition ended, there was a bourbon boom, a whiskey boom, alcohol boom, after that, of course, and uh, and uh, Pappy was was able to grow their product uh, through that time until he handed down the the uh, the the company to his son, which he then had to sell the company uh, just a few years after that because the bourbon boom had ended and. Uh, just wasn't much draw for for bourbon supposedly uh or evidently and uh but the the book kind of revolves around julian basically resurrecting uh the van winkle name and uh he was uh approached by uh the buffalo trace distilling uh to produce their product (laughs) and uh so it comes down to the, the, I guess the climax of the book comes down to the moment they're opening the 15 year old barrels and just having their fingers crossed that the, the, the product made the trip. And, uh, it's meaning that it aged out the way it was supposed to. Exactly. Cause sometimes they, they age well, and sometimes they don't every, every, every barrel, uh, every barrel varies, but, but it, it was pretty interesting. And, he, and he, I learned a lot about bourbon in it. It was a much different book than I was expecting. Uh, I thought I was, I thought I was going to learn just a ton about the, the history of, of, of bourbons out there. And I, and I did a little bit, but it was really heavy on, on the family part. Uh, Wright Thompson talks a lot about, um, William Van Winkle and his father are pretty, their relationships are pretty parallel. So you, you, there's a lot of, uh, 
a lot of talk on uh, on father son relationships in this book, and uh, but but I, I thought it was good. I mean, in the beginning, it it was kind of confusing, um, but throughout the book, it kind of all blended together. Um, it all blended together. Uh, it was kind of amazing how how Julian, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it, was, it was kind of amazing how the the how Julian was able to resurrect the product because he had he had supply of the old bourbon that he was able to sell and bottle himself but eventually he was running out of product and he needed he almost met the end except the people who bought Johnny might have to help me out again the Diago Diego yeah um, Diageo. Diageo. So they they bought out they bought out Van Winkle. And so what is in the old Stitzel Weller distillery, and that was the name of it, is now bullet uh bullet uh, bourbon whiskey. So that's their that's their headquarters now. So what, how'd you call it? What'd you, how'd you, how'd you say it? Diageo. Diageo. So they need to, they needed to make room in their, uh, in their warehouses. And, uh, one of the old employees for Stitzel Weller called Julie and say, Hey, they're selling off a few barrels, a, a bunch of barrels of the old Van Winkle whiskey for like $200 a barrel can you can you come and get them <laughs> so and because of that he was able to keep the product going long enough for the buffalo trace to uh to help him out whiskey that bullet bought the blade and bow whiskey yes yeah you do okay so it was it was funny uh bright thompson was with julian van winkle at the bow party after the Kentucky Derby I don't know what year the whole time Julian was carrying around a flask of Weller's which is the same mash bill but not aged nearly as long and it's also $20 if you can find it and that was and they were in, can I get a can I get a bump of that Weller's from me so I don't have to drink this <laughs> blade and bow but uh <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, but they talk about makers a lot. Now <laughs> oh, it's also another wheated bourbon. What's that, Bear? The uh, so was he a bootlegger before, or did he just straight up as soon as prohibition was over, he's like, finally, uh, I can get started. No, he was he was more of a businessman. He was more of a businessman and uh and he just he just wanted to put out a good product and he 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 wanted to use Kentucky grains. And from what I get from the book is rye doesn't come from Kentucky, they come from Pennsylvania. So he wanted to use all local product and that's what he did. So he he used wheat, which gave it its character of being an ultra smooth uh just 
supposedly a really delicious whiskey. So I have a question on. Um, so I know Wright Thompson from my days in college. He was real big in doing SEC stories back then. I don't know if he still does or not. Uh, but so how was his writing style? Is he easy to read? I've never really. Re- I've watched his documentaries. Yeah, it was. It was super easy to read. Um, the chapters, I will say, were more like mm-hmm. short stories. And uh, he kind of switches subjects back and forth, back and forth between him, himself, and and back to the Van Winkle family. Uh, like I said, it's really heavy on the family part, uh, which is uh, which I was thought, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, there's a, there's definitely a lot of mention of of, of his life in it, and uh, how it kind of correlates with. Julian's a little bit. Um, um, it would be awfully stressful as a businessman to have to wait 15 years to find out if your product is going to sell or not. Yeah. Yes. And knowing you don't have very much left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, yeah, it's crazy. I was at uh, an event a couple years ago back when you could still have events and uh, there was an auction Mm -hmm. at it and they auctioned a bottle of of Happy Van Winkle bourbon. Not even a big bottle. I think it was a pint, maybe a fifth. Yeah. And uh, I think it went for 15,000 or so. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Original? Uh, I looked it up to see. From the Stitzel Weller? I think so because a bottle under normal circumstances, if I remember right, was like eleven. So, yeah, it's it's good. And uh, I don't know, I don't know if that old if if the Stitzel Weller bourbon is worth that much because uh, you could tell that that Julian and Wright Thompson were were it became friends during this whole process. So he had him over at his house and he opened a Stitzel Weller bottle. They, they had to use a, uh, a, uh, a wine corkscrew oh, cool. on it just because the, the cork was so brittle. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they said, I mean, just after a few minutes, the whiskey was already beginning to oxidize. You know, it was beginning to taste funky. Oh, really? Just because of its age. <laughs> And how drink, fast it turns. Drink it fast. So I like it. Mm-hmm. So I've been to the Stetzel Weller, Weller Distillery in, outside of Louisville or in Louisville. So Bullet owns it now. And I was really disappointed in it. Uh, it was cool, but it's basically the gift shop. And then they take you into the parking lot. They're like, there it is. Oh, they don't take you through it. And then they have like a little museum mm-hmm. that you walk through. And this was pre-COVID. So I got the full... For the full thing <laughs> right <laughs> dude i i bet it was much better back in the day before bullet took it over um no i'll just I, I was just gonna say real quick that that it sounds like bourbons were much better back in the day than what they are today um just because of marketing, trying to sell more product. 
Right. They're probably yeah. made higher quality back in the day. Yes. I even said makers today doesn't even compare to what it was back in the day. Back in the day. They've just been slowly <laughs> making it just shittier and shittier over time. Gradually enough that nobody's noticed. Think, yeah. <laughs> well, I think supposedly everything was a hundred proof back in the day as a minimum, but they started cutting their product to make them thinner to sell more product. Does that sound right, John? I don't know. Actually, I don't know the history. It, it makes sense though, because yeah. they have they have to pay yeah. taxes on mm. like the barrel or, or on I don't know what the term is, but they have to take so it's not what they dilute. So if they can dilute mm-hmm. more and sell it, they can offset some of those taxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that makes sense though, they're doing that. But it sounds like it's more of a sales rep game these days, unfortunately. Yeah. Whoever can hit the most liquor stores sell the most product. Um, this book came very highly recommended from our audience or followers, however you want to phrase it, our friends, (laughs) but came highly recommended from, from, uh, people we interact with. Yep. And so glad I was a little, I was a little jealous when he told me that you got it for your birthday. Yep. Sorry about that. That's all right. Read it. You as long can, as somebody you got can, it covered. You can knock it out pretty quick. Is I it hope a, I did it. I hope I did a, it justice. I think you did. <laughs> uh, is it a pretty short book? Uh, like 230-something pages, but <laughs> the chapters are pretty short. Did uh, Are there one-star reviews? Yes, yes, there are. Was there any one-star reviews? Yes, there it, are. Uh, it doesn't really feel like a book that would have any, but uh, there's a bunch. But and it kind of looks like it's all on the same, all on the same, uh, the same complaint. Fifty uh, percent about Pappy and fifty percent about the author. Uh, half about the Van Winkles, half about the author. Terrible book, no magic, only the edge of a good story and no depth. Uh, more like right Thompson Land. <laughs> uh but i don't i thought it i thought it fit in all right yeah i mean there's a there's a way to do that my book actually uh had some one star reviews on those same lines it's funny uh, i mean i don't know i learned a lot i definitely know sometimes you got to put it in there while you're writing the damn book you know right <laughs> <laughs> while you're interested in it i know more about bourbon than i now than I did before the book. So I, I got something out of it. Good. Now you just need to get your rocks glass. Well, goddamn, I was about to send you one, but now I'm just going to throw it in the trash. Well, no, you, you can still send me one. You can still send me one, Barry. It's all right. Well, I'm not getting one. <laughs> Apparently, I got relegated. I know you've got plenty, so... That's just what you can grab. Yeah. So, well, good. I'm glad you read that. It's a good fit for the show. I can't remember how many yeah. people recommended it. It was like, it was more than five. Yeah. 
it was surprising how many people were reading it. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Okay. So I went into Total Wine yesterday. And uh, I'll just. Whoa, I'll whoa, whoa, whoa. Toe the Line. Is that the name of the liquor store? Total Wine. Total Wine. Toe the Line. Like, goddamn, they're confident. Uh, <laughs> but the they sobriety didn't have... test right here in the parking lot. <laughs> Hey, they didn't have a single Buffalo Trace product in the building. Good. Pretty wild. I drank some Buffalo Trace the other day, and it was good. Wait, John, you're still mad at them for not hiring me. Oh, well, come on now. I hadn't been drinking as much, and man, I can taste big differences in bourbons now. Just from one sip. You know what I haven't brought on the show? My whistle pig. Oh, yeah. Uh, you talked about it i got yeah i talked about getting it but not i haven't drank it on the show run down and get you some we'll wait (laughs) this thing will go off the rail real quick i I know so i'm encouraging (laughs) (laughs) all right jared anything else on pappy land nope i i well i'll never be able to afford a bottle of van winkle but that's okay hey never say never brother man i saw I, I saw the price of some online and like nothing under a thousand bones you never know maybe we should uh i'll pitch in yeah maybe <laughs> that'll be our time right be our first right. our first payday we'll go on a corporate retreat and get a bottle of some pappy if we can find it <laughs> go stay in a motel six yeah <laughs> share a room yeah in town, not even. We'll go to Lubbock and do it. Two queens and a two queen beds and a motel six. Uh, yeah. and a Sounds great. Hey, let dreamers dream. <laughs> I uh, brought Wolf Boys by Dan. I'm excited to hear about this one. Where'd you get that book, Barry? I'll get to that. Okay. Uh. <laughs> uh so this is called Wolf Boys. <laughs> it's two American teenagers in Mexico's and most Me- Mexico's most dangerous drug cartel uh, by Dan Slater, who uh, has a background as a journalist and an attorney. So, you know, the information here is trustworthy. Uh, but anyways, I got this book at... Uh, <laughs> I bought this book at Main Street Reads in Somerville, South Carolina. The uh, home of sweet tea. Yeah, really? I didn't know that. I didn't have a damn single glass of sweet tea while I was out there. Yeah. Um, but the reason I picked it up, Jared said he'd been eyeballing it for a while, and I told him I was interested in reading it because um, I take interest in things that have to do with the border area, particularly of Texas uh since it's right in my neighborhood and uh books 330 some odd pages is pretty i read through it pretty quick uh read about 100 pages on the flight home from charleston you guys may remember from the last episode i finished my other book pretty quick in the flight so put a good dent in this one but uh the uh, story, I'm going to say story, it's mostly true information, and I fact-checked best I could, but 
uh, I'll say story and characters, but it's a true story with real people. Uh, is uh, primarily focuses on two individuals who went to the same high school uh, in Laredo, Texas. Uh, one of them fell into the cartel life after something real menial happened. Uh, he was like a straight A kid, planned on going to law school and all this. And then one day got kicked off the football team or some a sports team and uh, basically completely redirected his life into the cartel business. Um, another, like I said, worked for the DEA. Uh, and then the stories kind of basically their interactions with each other and their lives during these times. Uh and this is on both sides of the border in Mexico and Texas, uh, Laredo, Texas, and Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. Uh, I was going to ask what their sister city on the other side was called, but I guess that's easy enough to remember. There you go. <laughs> it's, yeah, New Laredo. Uh, and the cartel involved is called Los Zetas, or they called themselves the company. Uh, and these were some bad dudes. They, uh, basically their whole way of life was smuggling drugs and people into America and bringing stolen vehicles and guns back into Mexico. Uh, as you can imagine that lifestyle breeds, uh, a lot of violence to the point that it's almost all they know. And they recruit people to join the cartel who are seeking that kind of lifestyle. Uh, and they're very militarized. They sent all their soldiers to training camps and uh, taught them to use different weaponry and, and uh, how to fight, basically. So uh, when he, and then something, and I've known kind of 10,000 foot overview of a lot of this but the amount of drugs and people that are being brought into America every day is staggering uh, this DEA agent early on in the war on drugs was seizing literally tons of uh, drugs millions of dollars of cash and guns every day and was barely putting a dent into what was coming across and mentioned several times how discouraged he was that he was spending his time in this risky business and having zero impact on, on anything that was happening. And so, and then the other characters, the uh, guy that fell into the cartel life, he started out by stealing cars and guns and taking them over and eventually promoted up to being a uh, hitman or Sicario, as you've probably heard it called, or assassin. And, uh, and then eventually to being a commander of these units. Gets arrested several times and has killed dozens of people uh, in just unimaginable ways. Cutting their heads off, burning them, shooting them, killing their whole families. All this. Um, but eventually he gets caught and they try to work out a deal with him because he, 
these weird ideals, you know, so he's always kind of in a little battle with himself on what he was doing and what he could be. But uh, at the end of the day, they end up catching him and he wouldn't snitch on any of his superiors. So he ended up getting um, a life sentence on that side. And it was then, of course, the DEA agent who they went to high school together that busted him. I'd say the the war on drugs has ultimately been a losing war as that DEA agent could see. And, and I've heard too, you know, they'll send over, they'll send a car through a border checkpoint intentionally to get busted. Cause they know while everyone's distracted with that one, more stuff can come through. It's just, it's, it's hard to imagine. I live pretty close to the border so I hear a little bit about this stuff, but I think the worst of it doesn't get spread around. This book was set from about 2001 to 2006. So the stories themselves are a little bit dated, but the overall happenings are are still plenty relevant. And my only complaint with the book is that the first hundred pages or so introduces a ton of people and it's hard to keep them straight for a little bit, but you eventually learn who the main players are going to be. Yeah. So when you mentioned that this guy got kicked off the football team, it reminded me of a situation I was in in high school. And I, uh, I got kicked off the school newspaper my senior year <laughs> and just went down a, a road of self-destruction that led me to hanging out with you most of the time. Why well, you got to put it like that? <laughs> uh, but really, though, I mean, it was it was something like it. It may not have been the football team; it could have been the basketball team. But he was living a real straight laced life, and then one day got uh, kicked off the team. So he was going home early from school and got jumped by this gang and beat up real bad and uh ultimately because of that ended up joining this other gang because of for to get protection essentially and so when you think about that it's like well shit if he'd have just gone to football practice you know all that could have been avoided so yeah it's crazy how the just that uh, I mean, I'm sure there's more involved in it, but it just seems like that one event. Right. Spot triggered all his of whole it. life. Yep. Yeah. And so it was, uh, you know, this book is not for everybody. You definitely have to be interested in the, in the subject matter and, and be ready for some graphic violence. Uh, there was even parts where I, and I'm not averse to things like that. Uh, there was even times where I'm like, this is feeling like a little much for me. And there were several times within the book where I'm like, I'm moving my family the fuck away from here. This is <laughs> too much. Do, do they talk about your region specifically? Um, or, no. Most, or is it just so Laredo? Most of it is said in Laredo and Nuevo Laredo. Uh, uh-huh. there's a lot of talk of El Paso and Juarez mm. and the I-35 corridor is where most of it is. So think up to San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Oklahoma city, 
And then once it's in Oklahoma City, it gets on 40 and basically disperses across the country. 20 as well, but not as much. It didn't seem like 10, 20. Damn. And so I have a I have an acquaintance here who uh, got dispatched out to the Marfa and Fort Davis area uh, just a couple weeks ago to help with help with the increase in border crossings lately, illegal border crossings. And he was there for two nights, and he said in those two nights that uh, they caught a hundred people coming across illegally. And that's just in two nights. I think he said that uh, this year there'd been 40 something thousand people had been captured. So you don't hear about that in the news. No, you no. don't. And this is Marfa is big time tourist town too, yeah. you know? So yeah, that's out in the desert too. Yeah. Isn't it? That's what, no. that's what we, I was, we were talking about. It's like, man, you gotta be brave to try to come across through here. Cause there's no water no shade so they're for hundreds of miles foot. yeah so the, they they come across on foot and actually valentine is really where most of the traffic comes through i think uh which is a little bit west of marfa if you've ever seen the prada marfa pictures that's actually more in valentine than marfa but uh they'll come across and get to valentine where they can kind of restock a little bit uh and then what was happening the nights he was here was they were uh they had they're hiking parallel to the highway that runs from marfa to fort davis out in the woods not in the woods out in the desert and uh there would be a car driving up and down the highway that and so they would do it three times, and then, you know, that's where they were going to stop to pick these people up. And so they'd stop and load the Suburbans up or whatever they're driving and then haul them off. So they just got to get 10 miles on foot, basically, into the country. And then they have a ride arranged for them. Wow. It's Roy do you Johnson. Think they're coming across, do you think they're coming across in this area to reduce their risk for catching Giardia? They could be. Because there ain't no water, so you don't got to worry about beavers. But uh, it's crazy to me because I go down there all the time, uh, not to Marfa, but to Alpine and Marathon, which is uh, 60 miles away and has similar issues, but not to the same level. And uh, you just would never know. That's a little bit concerning. And so just keep that in mind, you know, people, I think, uh, I don't want to be political and it's really not political. It's just a statement, but, uh, it's probably worse than you think it is. So that's that book was pretty good. Mm, Uh, (laughs) it had, uh, it had four and a half out of five stars on Amazon. Uh, there was a couple of one star reviews the two primary ones were no good did not like this book and the other one said disappointing not well written a bit like a good high school research paper so which is good enough for me apparently (laughs) and uh well it sounds really good 
it it's definitely good and i didn't do the the whole story justice i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's basically you know kind of the highlights of their day-to-day lives over this five-year period um and there was no lack of entertainment something that did surprise me maybe a little bit were was that uh, these guys were making tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars a week or a month we'll say and had seemingly had no money so that's the vibe i always get from <laughs> from like tv drug shows is they make all this money and then just somehow don't have any right <laughs> <laughs> well, some- one one thing that was interesting in this one the guy that went the cartel route his name was gabriel cardona he his mother was uh always very judgmental of his lifestyle choices to be in the cartel and things like this and you know would kind of pull the the catholic mom like you're gonna burn in hell for this gotta repent repent and all this but through all that was never ashamed to ask him for money mm. and <laughs> excessive probably felt like she was owed owed yeah. to probably so uh just interesting fact <laughs> <Cotton day. laughs> but that's wolf boys by dan slater uh, it's definitely an interesting story eye-opening uh the violence that's happening uh for some people within minutes of their house would probably blow you away uh probably worse than what you would think would be happening in the middle east or something or places like that dude with with that much going on how do towns like pandel make it I think uh, like tiny border towns, a dirt road to get to the, the town limits. So I think like Pandale and Bokeas would be the comparable on the other side of the border. Uh-huh. I think they're far enough removed from all of it that it doesn't affect them. But mm-hmm. I would be curious to know their involvement in it. And, you know, even cruising – along the river road and big bend basically just running parallel to the border the whole time you'll see you know shacks and shanties and and things like that just right across the river and you're like what is what is what are these people doing out here you know right hundreds of miles from any big time civilization no electricity no water really it's like makes you think but then at the same time those people's families could have been in that spot for 200 years so and they just know how to live out there right and and probably don't even know any different such harsh uh land man no like i don't I, know. I couldn't i couldn't imagine making it through out there in, in the summer i i couldn't imagine either when we were at the me and john were at the mariscal mine and it was talking about hauling the mercury from the mine into terlingua mm-hmm. on donkeys that's 55 miles and i've seen it be 120 out there yeah <laughs> you know and i can't it said like two trips a day if i remember right 
This kind of makes me think of a story in um, regarding willingness that we covered a little while ago. Yeah. And it's the opposite. It, um, people moving up to Montana because they think it'll be fun and they're wildernessy. <laughs> and that first winter hits, and they don't right. know what to do with this. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> they, they realize they're not that tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because I've heard – Y'all know I've been interested in getting some land actually down there by Big Ben for a while. And I have heard similar things said about that area. It's like, it's like, don't think you can just come and set up a place and live out here and everything be okay all the time. Just because it's so hot and so dry and resources are so scarce that it's a lot harder than people think. Everyone's like, oh, I can just go put a solar panel up and everything will be just fine. And so that's actually slowed me down that and hunting season. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of big bend. Yeah. It's on fire right now. 600 acres was the last I saw. Where's the fire? Uh, looks like it started on the very southernmost point of the South rim trail and has been getting blown into the basin from there oh my gosh i saw something yesterday said flames were visible from emory peak and so they they evacuated the whole basin and shut it down that's insane we were just there a month ago yeah and i was thinking about it today we have uh we may just need to quit going out because the last couple of places i've been have ended up on fire while i was there you know what sucks about that though soon after i was there it's gonna take the the vegetation so long to recover out there yeah especially up at that elevation yeah did they determine how it started I don't think they have yet, but I'm willing to bet it was uh, human error based on where the map is. The map literally damn campfire is yeah from those backcountry sites on the South Rim Trail. I guess that makes sense if it started on the trail. What's the likelihood that lightning or something right. started it? it? Made me think of that guy that couldn't commit to going while we were there. <laughs> <laughs> do you imagine a fire happening up while you're yeah. there? Did we tell that story? Which one of that About guy? The, yeah, I briefly, basically, we, me and John, talked to this guy who had reserved a backcountry site in Big Bend and could not commit to going. He's like, I don't really want to carry my pack all that way. And then he's like, I kind of just think I want to sleep in my truck. I can't remember what his other complaint was. <laughs> it's cold oh he's gonna he's worried it was gonna be cold yeah it's like did you not do any research before you <laughs> he's like what do y'all think i should do i'm like i don't fucking know man <laughs> not a doctor yeah he drove out here from florida so i feel like you should probably just go <laughs> so uh hopefully they'll get that put out quick big bend is a unique and beautiful place so i'd hate to see it too scarred up But when we went to the fire might be good for it though. Do what? Yeah, could be fire might be good for it though. It might be what it needed. Actually, the big bend uh park service, then MPS out there keeps kind of reminding people of that, saying 
you know, like this is a healthy and natural part of the lifestyle. So it just sucks because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's going to be 20 years till it recovers. Yeah. Um, but when me and John were in Utah, big fire started. And when we were in Santa Fe, Pecos Wilderness, all three yeah. of us last year, big fire started two years ago. Well, I've, Is that last I've year? had. <laughs> I've had two races canceled from uh, from fires. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, did a at the starting line for Ironman Lake Tahoe, and there had been a fire raging since before I even left to get there. And that that day, the wind shifted, and it was just smoky as hell where the finish line was. The starting line was clear, but they made a decision to cancel it. And then there was another one in. I think it was it was New Mexico, like Valles Caldera or something like that. Yeah, I think you and I were actually going to do oh, it yeah. together, and that was the, the fire. That was the first marathon I ever signed up to run, and about three weeks into the program, I'm like, I made a big mistake with this, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, bailed out. Yeah, <laughs> and then sure enough, the fire started. I'm like, well, at least now I can blame it on the fire, even though I canceled. <laughs> I had canceled myself out of the race long before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking back on Tahoe, there's no way in hell I would have finished that either. <laughs> so it was nice to have that bail <laughs> right. out. Look. What were you gonna say, Jared? I was I was just gonna ask, are they trying to put it out? The yeah. fire itself or so uh they have mule teams going up there, which I thought Man. was funny. It made me think of running with Sherman. <laughs> um and then there <laughs> there is one uh bush fire helicopter, maybe plane, mm-hmm. uh available out of Alpine that they have running rounds, but best i can tell the only uh thing they can really do is uh lay down the retardant and cut fire brake lines so nice and hope it rains which it isn't so that is actually it's supposed to rain job. All think about it. that's good damn that's not an easy job though i respect the hell out of those firefighters yeah especially I mean, you're in the mountains. I know. I was thinking about the street that. holding a hose. They were saying it take from the Chisos Basin was going to take the firefighters two hours to get to that point. And I'm like, that's a pretty damn good clip going up the side <laughs> of that. <hill." laughs> Especially in, I'm I'm assuming a full, you know, full fireman's get up just about. But I'm looking at the latest update, and it says it's reached Emory Peak. Oh wow. That's pretty deep in there, then. Man, so now I'm curious if they're going to allow people to go up to Emory Peak because after, uh, like, Chimney Tops in the Great Smoky Mountains, uh, that caught on fire four years ago. They haven't allowed anyone up there since because of the burned vegetation. Yeah. They're worried about the rocks being uh, unstable now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if they're going to – it's way too soon to say, but – I hadn't even thought about that. There's several places around Rio Dosa on the national forest land that they won't let you go into because it's uh, – I don't know when that burned. It happened before I got regular going up there, but uh, they won't let you back in there for the same reason, just 
Yeah. Worries about stability. That'd be a hell of a way to go from up there. Rock giving way. Dude, that, that peak's already kind of spooky as is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a little questionable. Yeah, it is. Uh, someone died in uh, in the park re- uh, a few days ago. In Big Bend? Uh, um, yeah, cardiac arrest or something. A 51-year-old female from Florida on the Whoa. Upper Borough Mesa Trail. What? Is that the one at Bokeas, Jared, that we were talking about? Nobody ever wanted to do? No. Upper Borough Mesa, that, that's uh, that's on the way to Mules here. We, we did that trail last year. Okay. It's on, yeah. It's beautiful. Freaking beautiful. Amazing. But that that's terrible news. That happens often out there, I feel like. An old person having a heart attack somewhere. What a way to go, though. We can all hope to be so lucky. John, you had a story you wanted to share. I do. This past week, I was getting my COVID vaccine, or as I've been referring to it as chipped, <laughs> as in you would microchip a dog. <laughs> and while I was sitting there, and the nurse or med was about to stick me with the needle. I go, does this one have the chip in it or the microchip in it? And she goes, yes. And then she laughed. <laughs> There's exactly. a bystander. <laughs> and there was a bystander in the little pharmacy. And I'm in, I'm out in rural. I'm in a rural. I can't say the damn word drugstore. And roll is a hard word. This guy, this guy overheard her laugh, and he stood there for about five minutes, and then, then he finally said something. He's like, "So, is there really a microchip in the <laughs> vaccine?" Oh my god! And she goes, "No, we were joking." He goes, "Oh, I was very concerned about how you just wrote that off with a laugh." <laughs> He couldn't pick up the sarcasm on it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a little concerned about it too, John D. I you know, DMX got a vaccine you know what, to begin with. You know what's funny is the uh, I've seen a picture of a needle that's used to deliver a microchip into like probably a dog, um, and it's this huge needle. This like thousand gauge needle that will stick into you and then just slide the microchip in there and i'm like there is no way they don't have something small enough these days that they couldn't inject with a normal needle used to make a injection i don't know i'm not a doctor but they've got to they've got to dude they don't need a microchip anymore man I, I carry this tracking device with me everywhere yeah they don't need a microchip <laughs> they got our phones just for the record, it is not the view of this podcast that they are <laughs> microchipping people on a national scale. <laughs> the, the opinions are that of the speaker. <laughs> John. 
John, how do you how do you feel after after taking? Did you get the Johnson and Johnson? Yeah, I did. I I wanted the Johnson and Johnson because it was only one shot, and it it's like the least effective percentage wise, yeah. but it's a hundred percent guaranteed to keep you out of the hospital if you catch it. Yeah. So there's sixty six percent chance that you you'll get sick, but it'll be mild, and like ninety percent. 66% chance that you won't get sick. And if you do get sick, it'll be mild. 80% chance to keep you from severe symptoms. So I would say flu-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then 100% chance that to stop you from dying or being hospitalized. Wow. Nice. But I felt great afterwards. Um, I've actually probably felt better in the last week than I have in a while. And all I had was a little soreness in my arm for a week. Which is typical after a vaccine. So the Masters, two things. Today I was thinking about how when Tiger Woods won in 2019, that was one of the greatest moments in sports history, which we've talked about a little bit on this show. And then I remember John was there, and then John reminded me that he was there. So I will probably remind you of the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i actually have the flag right yeah. behind me from the 2019 masters i was on 18 not man. very close but i was on 18 who cares man that was an amazing moment <laughs> and then uh today I, I trust everybody watched uh in this group and elsewhere <laughs> what but Hideki Matsuyama, oh. oh I was just laughing. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama went in with a sizable lead and and held on to it. And I kind of didn't like that for most of the time. And then when he got on 18 and started kind of slipping a little bit, I'm like, oh, man, I hope he doesn't fucking blow this thing. <laughs> and uh, he didn't, and it was a good moment when he won, so – yeah i just wanted some drama all day i i'm a big jordan spieth fan and i wanted him to win but he kind of got out of there early on and he clawed his way back a little bit but it was i'm still happy for hideki is he didn't pull a rory so yeah when rory blew up they <laughs> later in the round they they just they stopped giving him air time oh yeah completely. didn't give him a minute uh, <laughs> Spieth, yeah Spieth blew up a couple of years ago too on on uh 12 oh yeah he made like a nine or an 11 <laughs> might have been an 11 <laughs> uh but it was good well something that surprised me you know i was kind of saying i wanted it to play real hard because to me in the majors like whoever breaks par should be the person who wins. And, you know, if you shoot even, you get second. I think that's how it should be. And so I like it. I like to see it play difficult. And it almost did this final round. The final group, both both of them shot even and over par, but they had a big enough uh, gap to get by. I mean, play yeah, conservative. shot one over. Yeah today and bogeyed 18 yeah to hold on 
He played good, and Shoffley, man, Shoffley would have won if he wouldn't have had two quads. <laughs> that 16, I his look on his face oh, yeah. on 16 when that went in the water was just devastating. He was just like, oh, my God. I was telling Kathy when they're coming off 15 after the two-shot swing, I'm like, oh, yeah, this shit's getting real now, and, like, Shoffley's got all the momentum, and then – just goes to the next tee and dunks it. That the they water. were saying too that they don't they don't put the ball in the water on sixteen anymore. I know. Like, I was thinking that too. I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen one on sixteen. If if I was playing, you would see one. <laughs> how, hey, how much money do you think it cost him? Probably a few hundred thousand dollars. He tied for third with speed, dude. Oh, yeah. If he went from solo second to – who got – no, uh, the Zalatorius got solo second, huh? Yeah. Speaking of Spieth, I am very proud of him. He won last week and tied for 30 back. This will never be back. Yeah, he's getting back into it. Never. He had to work some demons out or something. Yeah. He's so fun to watch, though, because he's Oh, such yeah, he's always talking face. to himself, <laughs> walking down the fairway. He apparently does that on the range too. Oh, really? Everybody's everybody's got their way. Talking, talking. He'll hit a bad shot and then come back and. All right. Any closing thoughts? Congratulations to Hideki, and I hope they get that fire under control in Big Ben soon. Amen to both. Hmm. Word up. uh just a couple things i wanted to say the bigger than the trail block party is coming up i think we've all committed to some distance or another and uh you can pick distances from one to a hundred i'm in for 10 john has committed to a 5k yeah i thought i committed to a mile (laughs) hit the wrong button yeah and then uh, Oops. Jared is to be determined, depending on his schedule. But uh, trying to encourage everyone to sign up because proceeds go to Bigger Than the Trail, which uh, supports mental health through trail running. So this is not an ad either. We're actually doing this. Yeah. And uh, did you mention the link? Yeah. Uh, sign up through the link in. Uh, former guest Tyler Owens profile. It's uh, Tyler Owens 22 on Instagram. He's, he's Reverend yeah, Tyler, Rev Owens. Tyler Owens. And uh, that's not his username, but and uh, if you also, you if you sign up, let us know so we can. We're trying to put together a team, bourbon bookshelf team, to see how many miles we can get, uh, which leads me to my next point. If you are listening to this and run, join our Strava Club so we can uh, keep getting those miles in together. It's Bourbon Bookshelf Runners Club on Strava. Get those miles in. And uh, I was going to talk shit on John, but a couple of people saved the day. At about 3 o'clock today, I looked in the club, had 196 miles for the week. Wow. And I uh, said, man, it sure would be nice to get 200. And 
then I thought, man, if John could just take 20 minutes a day to log a mile, we could get 200. But uh, some people got some late Sunday miles in. If I I walk half a mile a day with my dog, so well, but start start recording it. But uh, some folks got some late miles in and saved them. But we could have gotten two twenty five if he'd have <laughs> I got off my ass. And uh, <laughs> I'd like to see that number up around five hundred though. So we need more people to join. That's all I had. It'll happen. Thank you for listening to the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast. Our aim with this show is to encourage people to read widely, enjoy good beverages in moderation, get outside, and have good conversations. We hope we can meet this goal while serving as good company for you, the listener. If you enjoy the show, please let us know by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast and following us on Instagram. If you really enjoy the podcast, please consider making a small monthly donation to help us continually improve the show. You can find the link to do this in the show notes for this episode or on our Instagram page at bourbon underscore bookshelf. Thank you and we'll see you next time.